You're listening to WALT. Homegrown. Homemade radio. Ghost family, I do not have any tattoos. But the only tattoo that I've ever considered getting, and still might, is a tattoo of a penguin. And this would not be any old penguin. No, no. It would be one very specific penguin. That penguin is Opus the Penguin, and he is arguably the main character of Bloom County, a comic strip that I spent countless happy hours immersed in when I was a teenager. I fell in love with Bloom County because I saw a lot of myself in Opus. He's easily overwhelmed, struggles with his weight, and is terrified of making people upset. And spending time with a character who struggles with all those things is drawn with such frankness and mirth was a source of unimaginable comfort, even if that character was a talking penguin. Opus made me feel like someone out there understood what it was like to feel the way I did. But there was something else about Opus that was, in retrospect, sort of counterintuitive. He had no problem making friends. From the moment he appeared in those Bloom County strips, he found ease and connection with his fellow residents of the boarding house where he and the other characters in the strip live. And as I reflect on it now, it occurs to me that that's probably because Opus doesn't really know how to be anything other than himself. He does things like wander into the local bar, where he asks the bartender if they serve herring martinis, and then he ends up chatting with the town drunk about why the drunk is so angry all the time. When a Vietnam veteran, who's paralyzed from the waist down, arrives in Bloom County and is having trouble making friends, Opus hops into his lap, and the two of them start pretending that the vet's wheelchair is the Starship Enterprise. They zip around town playing make-believe, which leads them to nearly collide with the teacher at the elementary school while she's crossing the street, which leads to the vet and the school teacher falling in love. Things like this happen to Opus constantly. And I think it's because he wears his heart on his sleeve, or flipper, I guess. People are disarmed by his unexpected authenticity, and they can't get enough of it. I sure couldn't. The thing is, when I read Bloom County nowadays, I'm struck by something else. The setting. Bloom County takes place in and around a boarding house somewhere in the Midwest. The first character we meet is a kid named Milo, whose grandparents run the boarding house. Why Milo is living there and not with his parents is never explained. But as a reader, you don't dwell on that question very much, because Milo very quickly develops a family of choice amongst the residents of the boarding house, a collection of eccentric drifters with murky backstories who have somehow found their way to Bloom County. They aren't necessarily planning to stay that long, but of course they do. And what I have been noticing recently in revisiting Bloom County is that all of these characters have that same quality of guilelessness as Opus. Most of them are there because they never really fit in where they came from. And somehow, in Bloom County, maybe for the first time, they seem to make sense to themselves. I have every single Bloom County strip ever printed in my apartment. And for a long time, I thought I would never get the feeling Bloom County gives me from anything else. But then, about two years ago, I discovered 
Unwell. Unwell is a love song to the American Midwest. It is about how much more diverse and interesting the Midwest is than a lot of people think. Mm. I, You know, we have this idea of, especially the rural Midwest, as very white and cis and straight. And none of those things are true. And I think Unwell was in some ways a chance for a lot of us to show the Midwest that we knew. That is Jeffrey Nils Gardner, one of the co-creators of Unwell. Unwell is a podcast about a small town in Ohio called Mount Absalom, and it tells the story of the residents of the Fenwood House, a boarding house in the town. As Jeffrey told me not long ago, even though Unwell is a fictional story, it's a project about very real things. It is a show about learning to build relationships as an adult with your parents and with your family mm. and discovering how how to interact with them. It is a show about memory and about ghosts and about how they might not be all that different. <laughs> That is, you are, you are playing to the family ghost base there, my friend. <laughs> From WALTFM, you're listening to Family Ghosts. I'm Sam Dingman, and this week on the show, we are going to revisit some very familiar themes, but we're going to do it in a slightly unfamiliar way. After the break, you're going to hear the first episode of Unwell. And then, in the second half of the show, you're going to hear more of my conversation with Jeffrey about the ways their philosophies about family and narrative bring the world of Mount Absalom to life. And why, if you're anything like me, you're going to find yourself wanting to escape there more often. Stay tuned. Hi there, folks. This is Jeffrey Gardner. And this is Eleanor Hyde. We're the executive producers of Unwell. Unwell is produced by Heartlife NFP. Heartlife wishes to acknowledge that the land where we live, work, and tell our stories is occupied land. Unwell takes place in southern Ohio, which is the territory of the Miami people. Unwell is produced in Chicago, Illinois, which is the territory of the Peoria, the Potawatomi, and the Miami peoples. Thank you so much, and enjoy Unwell. I've got the door. Thanks, Russ. That lights out is in 20 minutes. Are you going to be all right getting home? I think I can handle the mean streets of Mount Absalom. If you're sure. Good night, Dot. Night. Good night, Dot. Well, hiya, Dot. Hi, Dot Harper. Mommy? Good morning, Dot. 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 Dot.
Don't try to move. I'll... I'll call an ambulance. What were you doing out here? I was on my way home and... Where are we? Highway 5, out of town. Must have got turned around. Uh, Hello? Yes, um, I need an ambulance. Dot Harper fell and hurt her ankle. No, we're on Highway 5 about a mile from the town line, I think. that tonight, when the clock strikes midnight, all the evil things in the world will have full sway. Do you know where you are going, and what you are going to? She was in such evident distress that I tried to comfort her, but without effect. Finally, she went down on her knees and implored me not to go, at least to wait a day or two before starting. It was all very ridiculous, but I did not feel comfortable. However, there was business to be done, and could allow nothing to interfere with it. I therefore tried... Hello? Hey there, Lily Bell. Hi, Dad. Just wanted to see how you were doing. I'm fine. Though, I feel like I should have hit the turnoff by now. From what I remember, that exit is kind of tricky. Ask if she's using the hands-free device we got her. Mama C wants to know if you're using the hands-free device we got you. Yes. Because it isn't safe to use a cell phone and drive at the same time. I read that it's the same as driving drunk. Both of my hands. Uh, on the wheel. Oh, good. Any idea how long you're going to be there? Six to eight weeks, according to the doctor. Maybe longer because of her... Uh, Age. Her words, not mine. Well, Cynthia and I are here if you need us. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> Shit! You okay? Hun? Sorry. A, a dog ran out into the middle of the road. Are you all right? I'm fine. I have to let you go. I need to see if it's hurt. Okay. Give us a call back when you get there. Will do. Hey. Big guy. Are you okay? Yeah, no. You're right. I should just stay in the car. Oh, look. You brought a friend. A big, angry friend. Shoot. Go away. You all right, miss? Are those your dogs? I'm terribly sorry. They ran off before I could stop them. Yeah, well, maybe keep them on a leash next time. I very much doubt an old fella like me is going to stop them going wherever they want to go with or without a leash. How about you, though? Anything broken? I'm fine. Well, thank the Lord for that. You hear that, Don? Molly? 
You got lucky this time. Again, I am terribly sorry, miss. You have a good day. Come on, you two. Hey, sorry. Do you live here? Roundabouts. You wouldn't happen to know where the exit road to Mount Absalom is. Mount Absalom, sure. Uh, you see that tree up ahead? Yeah. Turn left. That's it? That's it. Well, I... kind of feel stupid now. <laughs> the way is always clear once it's been pointed out. Like the little girl in the woods. What did you say? The little girl in the woods. It's a story around these parts. A little girl gets lost in the woods. She spends days trying to find her way home, but to no avail. The woods will not give her back. So she sits down and thinks and prays, and as she looks up to the sky to ask God for help, she notices the tree she is sitting under has a single low branch, and so does the one next to it and the one next to that, and they all point in the same direction. And she remembers that her father is a woodcutter who goes into the woods to cut branches for firewood. And she thinks maybe he would leave one branch to lead him out of the forest again, so she follows the pointing trees all the way home. You know the story. I heard it once, when I was a kid. You from around here, then? No, I'm... I'm visiting someone. Ah. <laughs> well, have a pleasant visit. Thanks. I therefore tried to raise her up and said as gravely as I could that I thanked her but my duty was imperative, and that I must go. She then rose and dried her eyes, and taking the crucifix from her neck, offered it to me. I did not know what to do. It seemed so ungracious to refuse an old lady meaning so well, and in such a state of mind. She saw, I suppose, the doubt in my face. Can I help you? Yes, my name is Lillian Harper. My mom is... Oh. Yes. <laughs> Dot said you were coming. Come in, come in. Sorry. Most people don't knock. They just come on in. Right, because it's a boarding house. Yeah. So, welcome home, I guess. Uh, do you want something to drink? Yeah, or? I'm sorry. Who are you? <laughs> sorry. I'm Wes. I work here. Part-time. Part-ish time. Evenings and weekends, mostly. More right now because school's out. You know. 
Oh, I also run the ghost tour. Ghost tour? Yeah. Um. <laughs> only the most haunted house in Mount Absalom. Ooh. <clears throat> that tour begins at dusk if you're interested. <laughs> Free of charge for you. Of course. Oh, shoot. I almost forgot. Here. This is for you. A casserole. (laughs) I made it myself. My mom said it was a traditional welcoming gift. And how long has it been sitting under your desk? Oh. This probably should have been in the refrigerator. (laughs) Probably. I'll be right back. Hello? Can I help you? I'm looking for Lillian Harper? Yes. Chester Warren, assistant to Mayor Lopez. Oh, uh, hi. I am your official welcoming party. On behalf of Mayor Lopez and the village assembly members, I am to offer a most sincere welcome home. And a casserole. Yay. Not, not, not just a casserole. I also have... A gift certificate for one free ice cream over at D'Souza's to Ice Cream, the best scoop in town. You'll find them down on Main. If your car needs an oil change while you're here, a certificate for a free oil change and a tire rotation at Otto's Auto, also on Main. Uh, don't let the name fool you, though. Uh, there is no Otto. Mary Lou just likes puns. Uh, here's a coupon for one free movie rental from the movie night. Let me guess. On Main. It's all coming back now, isn't it? Like you never left? Now this, this is expired. I'm sorry. How did you know I was coming? Dot mentioned it. To the mayor. No, but small town, you know how it is. Sure. Oh, and the biggie. One free admission to the Celery Festival. Right. The Celery Festival. How long has it been? Since... Since you've attended the Celery Festival. Yeah, I really couldn't say. Fifteen years? Give or take. Hopefully more give than take. That'll be on uh, Labor Day weekend. Do you think you'll still be here on Labor Day weekend? Honestly, I don't know. Well, you should definitely try. It's always a heck of a time. I'm sure. Anyway, I should let you settle in. It was a pleasure to meet you, Lillian, and again... Welcome home. Thanks. Was that the door? That was Chester Warren. Oh, and another casserole. Yeah, look, is my mom home? Hmm? Oh, sorry, uh, yes, I'll take you... No, thank you. Just tell me where she is. Uh, she's decorating room three for a new border. That's third floor, I know. Right. I'll just put your casserole away then. Right. You. I remember you, you snitch.
Yeah, I remember you too. Mom? Mom! Lily? Mom? Lily, you made it. Are you... Is everything all right? Of course. Why wouldn't it be? It's just... It sounded like... Dot? Dot? What? 45 seconds. Not a bad response time. Now, let's see you resuscitate the bag of potatoes. I thought you were hurt. And let that be a lesson to you. If I were actually hurt, there'd be a good deal more swearing. Crazy old bat. Bitch, dear. If you're going to work in this house sooner or later, you have to learn to cuss. You forgot the potatoes. I hate you. Lift with your legs. How did you even get this up here? A magician never reveals her tricks. So, Lily, what do you think? Same as always. The room? I just painted it. Oh, right. The room. Um... Is a kid coming to live here? An astronomer. Plans to fix up the old observatory on Chapel Hill. Thought he'd like to look up at the stars at night. And did he ask for sheets with planets on them? That is the personal touch that only Fenwood House Boarding Services can provide. It's good to see you, Lily Bell. It's been a while. Fourteen years. Yeah, well, things have been... You know. Right. Well, let me show you your room. You can just tell me which one is empty and Let me show you your room. Fine. Show me my room. This way. Do you need help? I've got it. I've got it. Okay. Are you still working at that alpaca farm? Not for a year and a half. I work at a call center now. A call center? For Spoodle. Doesn't sound as fun as the alpaca farm. Yeah, well, getting bit by an alpaca makes you reconsider how important boring little things like health insurance are. How long has Wes been working here? A year or two. Is that even legal? I'm not screwing him. You know what I mean. He's like 12. He's 16, Lily Bell. And yes, he comes with all his papers and his shots. Unlike someone who I recall somehow worked four jobs in a single summer. That was different. Ooh. I was 17. Your room. You didn't. You saved my room? Of course not. I've got a business to run, and this is prime real estate. But I saved all your things, and when you called, I took them out of storage and put them back just as you left it. Embarrassing amount of stuffed animals and all. It's exactly the same. Like, exactly... I took pictures of where it all went. You are a crazy old bat. Hey, Dot! Yeah? Look out the window! The window? 
What in the... Give me a hand, will you? Sure. This thing does not like to move. Russ? Dot, hi! Did your daughter arrive yet? Yeah, she's here. Hey. Lillian! Russell Epstein, hi! We are the official, unofficial town welcoming party. And as you can see, we come bearing gifts. Yes, I do see that. We'll be right down, Russell. Hope you like casserole. Welcome home! Sure. Home. This episode features Shariba Rivers as Lily, Marsha Harmon as Dot, Clint Worthington as Russell Epstein, Bethany Hart as Cynthia Harper, LaQuinn Groves as Dale, Mark Soloff as an old man on the edge of town, Michael Turrentine as Wes, Pat King as Chester, Sebastian Orr as <laughs> Ellie Maitland as <laughs> Written by Jim McDaniel. Sound design by Ryan Sheely. Directed by Jeffrey Nils Gardner. Music composed by Stephen Poon. Recording engineer, Mel Ruder. Unwell lead sound designer, Ryan Sheely. Executive producers, Eleanor Hyde and Jeffrey Nils Gardner. By Heartlife NFP. Unwell is supported by our listeners at Patreon. You can support us by visiting patreon.com slash heartlifenfp. And a special thanks to our supporting producers, Caitlin White, Bill Gardner, Steve Diamond, James Battle, and Anton S. According to the disputed filings in the State Historic Preservation Office, the Fenwood House is the oldest continually inhabited residence in all of Ohio. Family Ghosts will continue in a moment. Family Ghosts is made possible thanks to the Kindred Spirits, our community of supporters on Patreon. Now, I realize it may seem odd for me to be asking for listener support when you hear ads elsewhere in the show. But the fact is that while I am grateful for those sponsorships, they don't even begin to cover the costs of making Family Ghosts at the level of quality that you expect from us. And that's why the Kindred Spirits are so important. And in exchange for their support, we give them some very cool perks. For just $5 a month, Kindred Spirits get early access to all of our episodes, hear them ad-free, and they also get exclusive bonus content not available anywhere else. For example, this month, Kindred Spirits can hear me in the role of a disgruntled alien sentry in a futuristic space dystopia radio drama. You'll also hear extended interviews with the creators we work with here on the show, recordings of performances from our Family Ghosts live shows, 
and a whole lot more. The work we do here at WALT wouldn't be possible without the kindred spirits. So if you're already a member, thank you so much. And if you're not, and you have the means, please consider becoming a member today at patreon.com slash familyghosts. Okay, folks, as I mentioned at the top of the show, here's more of my conversation with one of Unwell's co-creators, Jeffrey Nils Gardner. The remarkable thing about the show, I mean, there's many remarkable things about the show. I'm a huge fan. And one of the things that I love the most about it is you're doing this thing that I find very deft, which is there are some supernatural elements in the story that are hinted at. There are these mysterious wolves that may or may not be out there. And there's this basement room in the boarding house that seems to maybe contort and change shape. It's not totally clear. And there's a restaurant that's in the town that seems to have some sinister intent. But those things, for me, are not what define the show, what keep me coming back every week or every episode. What keeps me coming back is the story of Lily, your protagonist, coming back to her hometown and confronting her own baggage about it and confronting the way that she has been trained or trained herself to think about it and how she needs to think about it now that she's in this opportunity to take care of her mother. And that's a very delicate balance to preserve, to suggest that there is this larger sort of mythic component to the story, but to kind of keep it at bay and rely on the emotional, the more grounded emotional truth of what's happening to, to keep the listener focused and, and kind of attached to the narrative. So I guess I have two questions. One is, how much of that is intentional? And two is, how do you think about that the challenge of, of maintaining that balance? <laughs> well, I can say that the attempt is very intentional, uh, and I'm, I'm just delighted to hear that, uh, that for you it's working. Oh, it works great. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think to your first point, I am really interested in art that uses these big supernatural or genre or, or even uh, kind of just conceptual ideas to say some things or to reflect the very small particular lives that we lead as people, mm-hmm. slamming together stories that are both very, very small, mm-hmm. tiny interactions between people in the privacy of their own homes. Yeah. And the mythic scale, you know, stories told on the scale of eons and also the scale of moments. Yes. One of the things that comes through so clearly and resonates with me as you describe those goals is the almost kitchen sink reality nature of a lot of the scenes in Unwell. Scenes of dialogue that are quite long, and I don't mean that in a bad way at all. It, it, the, the so much character emerges through these interactions, and like any good piece of theater, the conversations don't tend to be about the concept or the theme that you're trying to express. They're about some, some very 
specific emotionally loaded incident. Like I'm, I'm thinking right now of the moment where Lily loses her phone and she has to go find her phone. And it turns into this whole saga about what it means for her to be so attached to the phone. And it, you know, there are sequences like that in Clifford Odette's plays or uh, not losing cell phones, obviously, because those <laughs> didn't exist when he was writing. But um, but you know what I mean? It, it's that that level of realism. And to do that in a piece that also acknowledges the potential existence of the supernatural or elder gods or, or monsters or perhaps unrested spirits from the dead that may lurk in this town by virtue of the, the massacre that gets referenced in one of the episodes. I'm speaking gently about the plot so that I don't give too much away. <laughs> I just think that's, that's such an interesting thing to try to do. You're making me think of, I am similarly interested in that, although I have mostly in my life worked in nonfiction. And I think the, the movie that comes to mind for me that first brought home for me the power of doing something like that is Magnolia. Mm. I don't know if you're a Magnolia fan, but um, there's, of course, the scene in Magnolia where all these characters who are involved in these intensely personal, very specific, small, as you said, dramas are all of a sudden confronted with the fact that there are frogs falling from the sky, <laughs> <laughs> which I didn't realize until later is a reference to a Bible passage where that happens. Mm -hmm. And there's this incredible, I think it's incredible. I guess there are some people who don't like Magnolia and I acknowledge those people's opinions, <laughs> but um, there's a part after that happens where the camera pans up to the wall and you see that one of the characters played by Melora Walters, has a painting on her wall uh, of a medieval scene uh, where something horrific is happening and there's gothic text that says, but it did happen. And I think the reason that this balance works for me in your work and in a lot of other things in this style is because our connection to our home, our connection to our family, I obviously always look at things through the lens of family, feels mythic in scale because it's so big that we kind of can't process it. And sometimes we need a narrative that incorporates large, spiritual, overwhelmingly grand ideas to help us address these real-life issues that we're going through. Sure, sure, yeah. It's the old kind of emotional truth rather than literal truth, maybe. Yes, yeah, and and that um, that idea of fiction is a w fiction is a way of saying things that aren't true to talk about things that are true. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I was I was just mentioning that idea of running everything through the filter of family, and obviously, as a person who's a host of a show called Family Ghosts, I, I'm going to tend to do that. But and I, you know, I don't want to impose a frame on your show that you wouldn't say is there. No, family but... is absolutely a, uh, a huge part of our show as well. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what's, what's fascinating to me is that, in my opinion, all of your main characters, not just Lily, who is our protagonist and is literally going back to Mount Absalom, Ohio, to, to take care of her ailing mother who runs this boarding house, but also Abby and also Wes, I think could be looked at as characters who are kind of defined by a sense of separateness, not necessarily from family, but from their home. And, and Wes in particular, there's this wonderful running gag in the show. Wes is a 16-year-old kid who works at the boarding house, and there's this great gag in the show that nobody can figure out quite where he lives or if he ever leaves the boarding house and goes home. Abby shows up in this town. Nobody quite knows what to make of them. They have all these questions about the way this city operates in a municipal way, and they're doing this very advanced research. And then there's this lovely thing that happens where Lily and 
other characters seem like over the course of the show are starting to encourage Abby to acknowledge some of the emotional realities or non-literal realities that might be going on in Abby's own story and also in the story in general. And we also get to experience Abby's wrestling with that. Again, I guess the question is how, how much of that navigation of separateness, that distancing from home and, and self and origins beyond just Lily, how much of that is is part of what you guys are after? The lens that we tend to look at it through, and I think this is going to tie in nicely with a lot of what you're saying there is is the kind of the contrast between family of blood and found family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Lily and Dot are related. And we see a very particular kind of struggle between them, but also a kind of not just a connection, but a set of shared mannerisms and all of these things. With the others, we wanted to explore kind of what happens when you get all of these people and kind of have them stuck together in a house. And yeah, you're right. These people who are very much kind of in, in their own ways alone, they kind of find a different kind of family and one that encompasses Dot and Lily and and in some ways gives gives them a model for how to build a new a new kind of family. Yeah. I would say a lot of my work and a lot of the things I've been thinking about during this period is is you know how how do you build a family in in kind of the modern age who constitutes your family who who do you build those connections with and and for myself in in a place where you know I my partner and I have, have have decided we're you know we're we're, we're probably not going to have children mm-hmm. and what does kind of an adult family look like in that case you know not having not having the easy models to build from oh my goodness i really if i may i really resonate with that real life dilemma and also this question of how how to make a family as an adult when it, it's not built on traditional structures mm-hmm. and also something that i think about a lot is what does it mean for me to ask the permission of the subjects and sources that we work with on family ghosts to allow me into their lives to to ask them about these very sensitive personal subjects when i normally am talking to them about family structures and family dynamics that i myself don't really have a very deep engagement with i'm not married and even if i was i don't know that children are in my future as well. And yet that is the reference point that so many people have. It's, it's what family means to so many people. And so I think it gives me a kind of natural curiosity about it and perhaps an ability to ask not uncomfortable questions, but unfamiliar questions. But it also means that there are some instincts and, and cues amongst subjects that I'm, I'm not going to pick up on. And so I think that's something that I do resonate with a lot that I hadn't considered before we started talking about the characters in Unwell is that they are, they are the kind of family that I envision myself being a part of for the foreseeable future in my life. And so I think I have just a lot of affection for them. Yeah. And a thing we really wanted to share and show uh, is that that is not, 
that is not settling and that is not a thing you do if you can't have mm. the normal family. Unwell is not explicitly political art, by which I mean it does not have a a kind of actionable political agenda that it is trying to demonstrate for an audience. But one of our, we call them our pillars, is the idea that art can open space in culture. Mm -hmm. We want to show a world uh, through our art that is the way we want the world to be, that we want to yeah. both model, but also kind of reinforce for people that, that like this, this idea you have, this this way you are is not wrong, is not bad. Yeah. Um, and part of that is is having explicitly queer relationships. Mm -hmm. Part of that is having non-binary characters and past even the characters having our non-binary artists, uh, myself included, kind of there, kind of at the center and kind of being public and visible. Yeah. To the degree that each of us are comfortable with that and challenging assumptions. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm really glad that you brought this up, actually, because that, that's something else I, I'm really interested to talk to you about is your approach to inclusiveness in the storytelling. And I don't even know if I mean inclusiveness. I almost mean the show feels very integrative or integrative in a very, very natural way. And one of the big examples of that for me and this could be revealing some of my own shortcomings as a consumer of stories. But so Abby, who we were just discussing, uses they, them pronouns. But that's other than a couple of moments in the story where people acknowledge like, oops, I, I got your pronouns wrong. I apologize. Unless I'm misunderstanding, Abby's story is not about the fact that they are non-binary. That just happens to be a part of Abby's character. But that's not Abby's story. Am I making sense? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. You know, part of this is, you know, the idea of being non-binary in, in a lot of mass media is very underrepresented. A lot of stories, especially when told by cis people, are just kind of about that. And in this case, we wanted to tell a story about Abby. Right. And a uh, a given circumstance of of Abby is that they are non-binary. Yeah, yeah. It feels very much like Abby's story is about the curiosity that they have about what's happening in this town, and the town's denial about the town's own backstory, and then perhaps this other layer of Abby being so focused on their research and desire to understand this that they did perhaps sometimes don't engage with other things going on around them or, or something like that. Well, and, and I, think, I think the two things that are really important to highlight here um, is, one, I, I do think that both in the writing room and in the recording room, Abby's non-binary identity absolutely informs a lot yes. of of the choices that happen of about what's happened but i think it's really important that they and and lots of other qu characters are able to be more than than that identity you know they they're allowed yeah. to be full and complete characters rather than being kind of pigeonholed and kind of funneled down into just one aspect of their their personhood Yes. That, and that strikes me as a really important 
complexity in what you're doing is it's not about it's not about denying that identity or that reality in the character but it's about saying that's not the only thing from which a story that this character is at the center of might emanate and and there are there are i, I don't want to sound like you know we're the only people doing this um there are there are in fact lots of other fantastic audio fiction productions that mm-hmm. also follow this kind of work in the same space but i do think that like an important thing we can do to open that space in the culture is just is to make work that is like that because that's that's how it all should be <laughs> yeah. so yeah right absolutely absolutely so i'm interested then in relationship to all of this about the choice to i guess you st- I think it's the first episode you start by saying this, and in subsequent episodes you say this at the end, but about how, I think you say the the land where we live, work, and tell our stories is, I can't remember if you say occupied land or stolen land, and then you acknowledge the reality that the native people that lived here when Europeans arrived were living and working and telling stories on, on their land. And I know that that is an element in the story in Unwell. But it, it's not the main story, necessarily, at least not so far. And so I'm, I'm really interested in framing our entry as listeners to the story with that context. So it's something that I think, you know, and I can really just speak for American creators, but I think, yeah. I think it's something that more people should be doing. I think it's, it's, it's an important piece of context for any story kind of told on or about America. Yeah. Uh, because it is a huge piece of American history that gets constantly ignored. And, and, and the American present, we as Americans tend to think of the atrocities yeah. uh, as being things of the past. And I think that's letting America off the hook. Unwell is in a lot of ways about how memory decays and about how memory is rewritten and how stories can be misremembered either innocently or purposefully. Mm-hmm. And that applies to, you know, a mother and daughter having conflicts over how they remember the daughter's childhood. It also applies to you know the narrative of the the founding of Ohio as a state and yeah, and right. of the 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 kind of the annexing and and stealing of sovereign lands by white settlers yeah so that, that again i guess that that strikes me as a really important complexity in your work is that you're saying in a way this is actually the appropriate frame for all stories. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> all, all, all stories that are told, particularly in this country, but also the thematic connections to the work that you're doing in Unwell are actually quite direct. Yeah. If one excavates it sure. just a bit. And to your point about modeling, I've never heard anybody do it before. That's, that's why I wanted to ask the question. And so it's really interesting to hear you talk about the motivations behind it. It's one of those things that we're, we're very glad that people are asking about it. And it's also something that we very much are excited and hope will be something that is commonplace enough that no one asks about it soon. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So another thing I think is really remarkable about the show is Mount Absalom, which is presented at least 
to my mind as a listener, as a, a small town in Ohio, somewhere in the Midwest, is a place that is very diverse in ways that small towns in the Midwest are not commonly talked about being. And that challenged my expectations as a listener, I will, I will freely admit, when I heard that it was a story about ghosts and hauntings and family in the Midwest, I imagined a story about white people, um, which has to do with my own preconceptions that I'm always trying to reinvestigate. But that's partially intentional, right? Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, that's the trope that kind of everyone um, comes in expecting. Um, and and we did want to actively disrupt that, you mm -hmm. know, because we are all people who have lived in and around the Midwest. We are, we are in fact, living proof that we exist in the Midwest and in, in small yeah. towns in the Midwest. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Well, Jeffrey, I am so grateful to you for taking the time to talk to me and for making this really, really beautiful show. I, I just can't tell you enough how much it's, it's meant to me to find it. And I'm really excited to see where the rest of the story goes. Well, thank you so much. It's been great to talk. If you like what you heard on the show today, make sure to search for Unwell, a Midwestern Gothic mystery, in your podcast player. And thank you so much to Jeffrey, Eleanor, and their entire team for sharing their work with us this week. If you want to learn even more about their work, check out The Limitations of Truth, our bonus episode from December, where you can hear me in conversation with Unwell co-creator Eleanor Hyde. And if you're a Patreon subscriber, you can hear an extended version of that interview with Jeffrey, where we talk in much greater detail about the state of audio storytelling, what it's like to be an independent artist when everyone else your age is getting married and having kids, and a whole lot more. Family Ghosts is hosted, produced, written, edited, and mixed by me, Sam Dingman. Our show art is by Teddy Blanks, and our theme song is by Luis Guerra. Incidental music is from Blue Dot Sessions. If you're looking for something to listen to in the off weeks between episodes of Family Ghosts and you like the HBO dramedy Six Feet Under, check out Fisher Family Ghosts, our first ever Family Ghosts spinoff. Each week, my partner Adrian and I watch an episode of Six Feet Under and then talk about the ways the characters, themes, and narratives affect our perspective on storytelling and our own families. Find Fisher Family Ghosts wherever you're listening to this. We'll be back in two weeks with a brand new story. Thank you for listening, Ghost Family. I'll talk to you then.